Okay, Rob, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you surprisingly well. Oh, that's amazing. All right, cool. Let's, uh, let's go. Let's start running. So while I'm running in Brooklyn, New York, Rob is about 4,000 miles, two time zones, and one ocean away from me. Is there a delay? That's the question. I don't think I have a delay right now, if you don't. I'm, I'm going straight after you. If you say yes, I will say no straight after you say yes, and we'll see how quick that is. <laughs> What's that? But we decided the only right way to do this interview is for both of us to be running. I think we're good. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, so uh, my name's Rob Pope, and I'm a veterinarian from Liverpool, England. When he was a kid, Rob had an old VHS copy of Forrest Gump that he watched over and over and over again. So, you know, in the movie, he gets interviewed while he's running. Have you ever done an interview while jogging before? No. (laughs) And the movie, especially the cross-country running scenes, really shaped his vision of what America looked like. You know, amber waves of grain, purple mountain majesties, Jackson Brown blaring in the background. According to our corporate lawyers, that's all we're allowed to play from that song. I just imagine it's like the most perfect picture postcard for America's tourist industry because you just see all the incredible landscapes. I couldn't imagine seeing the country in any better way. In 2016, when Rob was 35, he went to Alabama, the home state of the fictional Forrest Gump, and he took off running. Following the route that Forrest himself took, crossing the continental U.S. four times. So I ran 15,621 miles, and that took me 422 days. I still prefer to think about it in the third person because it kind of freaks me out if I think that I did that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Hold on a second. About to cross the street. But look both ways. I got I got hit by a car in New Jersey. <laughs> hey, I'm from New Jersey. Rob even made himself look like Forrest, from the big castaway beard all the way down to the Nike Cortez on his feet. He was living out his favorite scene from his favorite movie, and it was living up to his expectations. You don't really expect it to be as good when you get there, but it was better. <laughs> I remember I was running through Idaho and I just thought, this is like Scotland on steroids. And it's not even just the landscapes, it's also the people, you know, that had the whole have a nice day thing. There's nothing fake about that, you know. People say it and they genuinely wish that you have a nice day afterwards. And I was like, wow, that's really refreshing. And along the way, he relied on people all over the country to give him food, shelter, and money. On his run, Rob raised more than $40,000 for the World Wildlife Fund and And Peace Direct. You you know, people are nice. People want to help people. And that's what we've always got to remember, even though it doesn't seem that way sometimes. But the magnitude of it. Now, that was a surprise. So, Rob, I've been running with you for a bit. I think you're in better shape than I am. I'm wondering if you could introduce the show for me to say, you know, I'm Rob Pope, this is Thrillist Explorers. Hi, people call me Rob Pope or maybe even Forrest Gump, but hey, this is Thrillist Explorers. (laughs) Thank you so much, cool.
What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton. Welcome to Thrillist Explorers. On today's episode, our season three premiere, we're looking at folks who, like Rob, took the road commonly traveled, but did so in some, let's call them, non-traditional ways. We've got two guys who somehow drove from New York to LA in 25 hours. We have the story of the strangest reality show you've definitely never heard of, featuring a very eventful cross-country lawnmower race. And we'll hear from a comedian who made an extremely drunk, extremely misguided bet that involved hitching around a foreign country with a mini-fridge, but it ended up really working out for him. All of these people, through their idiosyncratic means of travel, were able to see the world from an angle that, frankly, most of us miss. And to quote another famous Rob, that made all the difference. First up, this is Round Ireland with a fridge. Enjoy. So if you want me to kick off with the whole story of how I came to do the fridge thing and then and just keep going until you ask a question, is that the best way to go? Can we just have you do a, like a capsule of an intro? So like if I was doing it, I'd be like, hi, I'm Will Fulton. I am from Brooklyn, New York, and I am a writer. Okay. Hi, I'm Tony Hawks. But I'm not to be confused with Tony Hawk, the skateboarder. I'm from London, England, and I'm a writer and actually a comedian as well. This amazing adventure I had started when I went to Ireland for the first time. I was picked up at Dublin Airport. It was getting dark and there was a man hitching by the side of the road with a full-sized refrigerator next to him. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And I said to the guy who was driving me, did I see that correctly? And the driver just went, oh yeah. And he didn't say anything else about it. And I thought, well, what an extraordinary place Ireland must be that if someone hitching with a fridge isn't even a talking point. I became sort of obsessed with this man in a sort of little way. I told the story a lot when I got back and ended up at a dinner party where a lot of wine was being drunk. And I ended up saying, of course, Ireland is the one place in the world where you could hitch with the fridge. And this friend of mine, Kevin, said, no, I don't think you could. I mean, that guy probably just got up the road. He didn't hitch far. But I felt that Ireland was a place that would support that. You know, they've got this expression, the crack. Oh, we do it from the crack for the hell of it, for the silliness. And I had this feeling that they would see this man hitching with the fridge as, as an excuse for the crack and to have a few drinks to, to, to celebrate. And that was my, my gut feeling. So I decided to do it. And I made a hundred pound bet that I could hitchhike round the circumference of Ireland with a fridge. I decided to take a month off and stuck my thumb out. And I negotiated with my friend Kevin that I could have a half-sized fridge. And the reason was I want to get a lift from people in saloon cars. I don't only want to get lift from lorry drivers. For our American listeners, saloon cars are sedans and lorry drivers are truck drivers. I had to look it up. 
So I want to meet as many people as I can. And I want the fridge to be the catalyst for opening up conversations. The journey didn't get off to the best of starts. I wanted to try and start hitching in the place where I thought I'd originally seen this first hitcher all these years ago. So I took a bus from Dublin to this bit of road. I put the fridge by the side of the road and no one was stopping. I went from a kind of high to low in about seven or eight minutes. I just thought, well, what have I done? You know, I've come all this way. No one's going to stop. Why did I ever think anyone would stop? I saw a pub in the distance. And I thought, well, look, you know, before I give up, I'll go and have one pint of Guinness and just, you know, and then just see what happens. And there was a guy in there who was already flying drunk. He said, what do you keep in the fridge? And I said, shoes. And he went, champagne! There is a man who keeps shoes in a fridge. So we drank, we drank champagne to celebrate the shoes in the fridge. And they thought it was very funny. And they, they said, you mustn't give up. You've got to keep going. And so they sent me back out there. And the adventure just began. I had, the confidence was there then, and extraordinary things started to happen. A, a sort of radio DJ heard about what I was doing and, and got in touch and got me to phone in. And so I became a little bit of a mini celebrity in Ireland. And then all I had to do was put the fridge by the side of the road and people were screeching their brakes off to try and pick up the fellow with the fridge. I got very little time from then on where I wasn't talking. One guy stopped and picked me up. We then talked for the whole journey about the Irish electoral system. She was a kind of a guy who had no teeth. He said, oh, my name's Toothless Eve. The man in the guest house was convinced he could get me out by helicopter. That was quite wild, and the car felt like it was going to fall. I got a lift in a horse box. They'd said they were going to call the little horse fridge. He never said a word about why I was travelling with the fridge. It became exhausting in a, in a rather beautiful way. The Irish took this fridge and sort of uh, turned it into a, a personality. So they wanted to christen it. They wanted to give it a name. They, we took it surfing. Every day there was a pinch yourself moment. Is this really happening? I think the most bizarre thing that happened to me on the trip was this guest house was full and there was nowhere to sleep and I said to the guy that was running I saw this dog kennel at the back he told me he didn't have a dog anymore so I said well that dog house is empty then is it and he said yes I said well can I sleep in there so he said sure so we put bedding in there and and that was it and then I and I think because I was the fellow with the fridge I fell into a conversation with this I thought, lovely girl who was working there, whatever, and I asked her out. And uh, we went for a drink, and, and then I said, would you like to come back to my place? <laughs> we put a candle in a dog kennel, and uh, we were very lucky not to start a fire, I suppose. <laughs>
Hitching is the best way, I think, to see a country because you meet the real people who live there. Whenever you hitch, you put your faith in other people. You can't get anywhere if someone isn't prepared to help you. So you would never hitch anywhere if you didn't believe in the goodness of other people. When I got to the end of this trip, I, I went to lunch with the radio DJ. We, we talked about why this had gone so well. I said, you know, I, I, I had a feeling it would go well, but what do you think? Why, did, why was I so well received? And he said, well, what you got to remember, Tony, is there's nothing that the Irish like more is an Englishman who's a bigger Egypt than they are. So maybe that's the reason why it went so well. The crack. You can and definitely should buy Tony's book, Round Ireland with a Fridge. There is a link in our description, so go snag it. Coming up, what do you get when you mix 12 strangers, six riding mowers, and a cross-country road trip Well, for starters, you have the weirdest reality show you've never heard of, but once you find it, you won't be able to stop watching. We've got the story after the break. Uh, Well, up until until my first wild ride in in downtown LA, I, I dropped them over in the neutral going down a little hill and I couldn't stop. This is Andy. This little black car pulls up next to me and says, stop, slow down, slow down, you're going too fast. I said, I can't, I can't. The brakes are gone instantly. If you happen to be in downtown Los Angeles in late July, you might have seen him barreling down Hill Street in a bright neon shirt, on a cherry red riding mower with busted brakes, towing an open bed trailer carrying, among other things, another human being. But I'm going back and forth and back and forth to try to slow down. All of a sudden I notice, oh my God, a yellow light at an intersection. I stand up right away. I start waving my arms, feverish. I'm like, stop, stop. Look out, I'm coming, I'm coming. So I run through the intersection with a trailer and it's some jackass and it's sitting in a trailer. <laughs> I just had to laugh my ass off. Don't worry. They were okay. And John, my teammate, we pulled over. My hands are shaking. I'm like, oh my God, you do not know how close we came to death right there. He's like, that was cool, dude. Again. <laughs> so I'm like, no, no, no. Here's the thing. The Craftsman T110 is a fine lawnmower. It's stocked with a 17.5 horsepower Briggs & Stratton single-cylinder engine and a 7-speed manual transmission. But it can only go about 5 miles per hour, which is perfect for casual Sunday lawn work, not so great for driving across the continental United States. But that's exactly what they did on the Great Grass Race. Contestants! The great grass race is about to begin! All right. I was a kid in the 1990s, so naturally, the real world is my golden reality TV show standard. Here's how I would explain the great grass race in those terms. This is the true story of 12 strangers racing on lawnmowers. From L.A. to New York, baby. With no gas, no food, and no shelter. This is what happens when people stop being polite and start the most batshit wild reality show ever. 
It's called the Great Grass Race. Six teams leaving from Los Angeles coming all the way here to Tampa on lawnmowers of all things. And the only way they can make it here is through the kindness of others. They aren't allowed to carry cash, make arrangements to sleep anywhere, or even bring food with them. That's why you are chosen. So on the road ahead, make each and every interaction count. Wherever they go, they have to rely on complete strangers to give them the things they need to live and continue their trip. So grassers, start your engine. The Great Grass Race is somehow simultaneously like every reality show you've ever seen and like nothing else ever made. What is it, sir? You haven't ever seen a lawnmower being driven down the road before? Pulling a trailer with a sleeping passenger in the back? People were sleeping on the side of the road under tarps and pouring rain. It rained hard. (laughs) All night, baby. They were riding lawnmowers in 100-degree heat on the shoulder of four-lane highways. Oh, my God, it's so hot here. And sometimes, you know, they'd almost fall off a cliff. You almost ran me off the cliff. I want a new partner. The actual production is really entertaining, too. The cameramen are always talking throughout the show, kind of acting as second hosts. The whole show has this Tommy Wiseau-style intrigue that is just so hard to turn away from. Jason does too much stuff for him, and he's not supposed to be helping anybody out except for filming them. You're probably asking yourself, what kind of a person would think of a show like this? Okay, so I'm Dennis Oliver. Dennis Oliver, owner of the production company Menace Vision. And the creator of the TV show The Great Grass Race. I'm not a TV guy. I don't even watch TV. I'm from the airplane industry. I was in business uh, abroad with Menace Vision. We really want to bring people together and show that generosity exists in America. Dennis got the idea for the Great Grass Race one afternoon in Spain after watching the straight story on TV. Hey, I thought he didn't watch TV. Um, yeah. Anyway. For the uninitiated, that's a 1999 David Lynch movie in which a World War II vet drives his riding mower across two states to visit his dying brother. The lawnmower, it spoke to him. So I didn't even finish the movie, but I started to work on that concept right away. We were looking for a TV show that is simple, that everyone can relate to, uh, and that will bring people together. Right now, the show is only on Menace Vision's website. Dennis didn't even want to try to pitch the show to a network or a major streaming service. Um, but our spirit was not to say, hey, let's make millions with that idea and pitch that to a giant network. And We want to have control over because we want to make sure that our intentions and our values and um, the positive side of it remains intact. And who are the people that volunteer to chase this dream and potentially get pancaked on a Texas highway? Here she goes, but she doesn't look the other way. Hit the brakes! Oh, that was close. This is Tiffany Gill and Katie Knight. You just heard them almost get run over. Um, So how I found out about the race is that I was just looking online for reality shows 
game shows. And I Googled game show castings and I found it. This crazy website came up and it said, oh, do you love traveling? And I was like, yeah, I love traveling. So I applied and applied, (laughs) not really knowing that it was going to be traveling on a lawnmower. The listing advertised a cash prize for the winner. And yes, contestants had to sign a very lengthy waiver before filming. On the first day of shooting, production randomly split all 12 contestants into six teams of two. These two were paired up, thankfully. They became the pink team. I asked Katie kind of panically. I said, Katie, do you know how to ride this thing? I've never even seen a riding lawnmower before in my life. So she's like, oh yeah, no, I I do. I'm like, that was such a relief. Oh my God, I didn't even know how to start it. Nothing. I just thought to myself, this is going to be a crazy three months. The race actually clocked in just under 70 days. They started their engines in LA on July 10th and crossed the finish line on September 16th. But the contestants notched over 3,000 miles on their lawnmower odometers and 10 weeks traveling on back roads and highway shoulders on these riding mowers put actual wear and tear on their bodies and their equipment too. All I know is that I've got holes in my leggings, I've got holes in my shorts. And it's important to note that these mowers aren't supposed to go dozens of miles per day. Here's Andy again, who knows a lot about mowers and also has a very noisy house. Sorry, Andy. And they said that little motor is not designed to go more than between four and 600 miles. Hold on a sec, got a clock going off here. Ding, 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 what time is it? One. Done, all right. Sorry. Um, so they said it's it, the motor should not is not designed to last more than four to six hundred hours. That's it. But that's under normal circumstances. Getting oil changed like once a year, you know, maybe I don't know an hour, two hours at a time because these weren't big mowers. The the longest day I had on, on my mower was twenty hours, real close to twenty hours. It was the crappiest day ever. We broke every single belt we had, and it took me twenty almost twenty hours to go one hundred and one miles. The transmission, the belt, the brakes. Everything on these mowers started falling apart before they even made it out of California. In almost every town they visited, they needed to hit up a hardware store to beg for new parts just so they could keep going. And that's the oil. Yes. So right now we're looking at lawnmower stores and we think we're going to pick up the oil. And the lawnmowers caused some other problems too. They had almost daily run-ins with law enforcement around the country, something that, unfortunately, affected some contestants more than others. Here's Karima Spades. She's from Newark, New Jersey, and is studying to be a lawyer. I think we got pulled over more than the whole group. I mean, most of the police officers were pretty nice. Some of them, they were just confused. And then, well, see, he's Asian, and then I'm black. So we're a minority, and it looked kind of weird. It looked kind of weird to them. They were like, uh-uh. And then when they pulled us over, it was so funny. I explained to them. That is a reality show, and that we're doing this to show the goodness of people. And once we said that, it, it just like kind of like softened them up, and they felt really bad. And um, they used, they would take us to the store and buy us food. But even though the mowers drew a lot of attention and are the dominating image of the show, they lose their novelty pretty quickly. The real driving force of the series is this total reliance on complete strangers for everything. They'd walk into a gas station, explain their situation, and ask for fuel and food. They'd wander into hotels and request a room for free at the front desk. They'd approach people on the sidewalk and 
ask for a place to sleep. I would start off saying, hi, I'm Ryan Lamour across the country. You know, uh, can you help us out? We have no food, no water, no gas, no place to stay, no nothing. And they'd be like, what? I mean, we'll have to. Most of the time when I called someplace for help, the, the people would break out in laughter like, what? Are you kidding me? Then I'd say, no, no, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't hang up. Dennis, the creator of the show, I'm not a TV guy, said this was meant to test the generosity of Americans. And for the most part, America actually delivered. Dozens, if not hundreds of strangers brought them meals, gave them lawnmower parts, even offered up their homes. So the most comfortable place I would say that we stayed in was a huge, basically a mansion in Colorado by the wonderful Jesse. He was so accommodating. In the morning, he made heart-shaped pancakes. He, he just really, really took care of us. And we actually stayed there for a couple of days, so it was really nice of him. It's easy to laugh at Dennis's highfalutin notions of this reality show about lawnmowers actually forging some genuine connections between people from all types of cultural backgrounds. But, I mean, the show did kind of do that. A lot. Okay, so... I'm going to say one thing that I that, that was in my mind from when I was a little girl is that I thought that rednecks were um, racist. So when I was in Colorado, I met this guy, and he was a redneck, and he liked it, and, and I was surprised. And I didn't even know he was a redneck. That's crazy. Our lawnmower was down again. And we were at a hotel trying to fix it in the parking lot. And he came out of his truck. And he looked like a cowboy. He's down on cowboy boots and stuff. And he had those those little jeans that most cowboys wear. And I'm like, oh, he's a cowboy. And when, when I sat down and ate with them, I'm like, are they normal people like me? They eat the same food. They go to the same grocery store. When you go around the country and you meet all these people, they are sweethearts. This whole experiment would have been incredibly hard during any time period. But all of this happened in the summer of 2020, in months where police brutality protests were held in every state in America, when the most divisive presidential election campaign ever was on its final legs. And in case you somehow forgot, we were also in the midst of a global pandemic. On that last note, COVID's presence was definitely felt throughout the series, but thankfully no one on the cast or crew got sick. Though it did force production to slightly shorten the race during the final weeks, they decided to end in Tampa, Florida, instead of going north to New York City. So three months and more than 40 episodes later, the Great Grass Race ended in downtown Tampa, with the winning team literally pushing their lawnmower over the finish line. Yes, Katie and Tiffany, aka the pink team, ended up winning the Great Grass Race. Oh shit, sorry. Spoiler alert, my bad. I think that Katie and I, our secret was that we were always kind of the latent team where we were in the back. Like, no, we don't want to lead because if we lead, then they're going to think that we're a threat. No, we don't want to show up as a threat. We just want to show up as these two innocent girls that don't know anything. We were always taking in information, like the boys are changing the belts and Tiffany has her phone out. She's recording every single step. We're both standing right there watching everything. The boys aren't even thinking about it. And we're learning how to change a belt. We got a, rid of a bunch of weight on our trailer right at the end. And just like little stuff like that, I think really helped us get ahead. 
no one believed that it was possible to go that far to do something that that crazy so during a summer when america was as divided as it has been in my lifetime when let's be honest there's more hate out in the open than we'd ever hope to see this small group of regular people from all around the country managed to mow their way into my own cynical heart and i know this sounds a little dramatic but it actually gave me just a sliver of hope in regards to our country and the people who live here. I think that we look at America and we think, wow, such a divided country. That's not true when you just sit down with somebody and get to know somebody. A lot of people, I think, are good at heart, and there are definitely more good people in the world that want to help than there are bad people in the world. I'm actually in a relationship with someone that I met on the race. And he's the redneck guy. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to actually moving with him. In the future, right now, we're just trying to keep it kind of slow. You know, we're getting to know one another, but I'm actually going to go visit him. How awesome is that, right? And it's so, like, crazy because we're from a different culture background. Is this something to add along to this whole journey? I have a different perspective on life right now. Coming up, we're switching gears from incredibly slow lawnmowers to the dudes who drove across the country in 25 hours. Yes, that is a world record. And yes, it is super illegal. We've got the story right after this ad. Sorry. Got to pay the bills, you know? All right, really quickly, can you guys introduce yourselves? Go ahead, Arnie. Oh, I, I guess I'm going. Uh, I'm Arnie Toman. Oh, I thought you were going to give a whole thing. Like, I'm six foot two inches. Yeah. Arn and Doug are two best buds who met through their mutual interest in driving across the country as fast as humanly possible. Uh, I'm Doug Tabbitt. I am Arnie's co-driver and co-record holder at 25 hours and 39 minutes. This trip from New York to L.A. is known as the Cannonball Run. And right now, they hold the record. The uh, moving average was 112 miles an hour uh, over the course of, uh, you know, over 2,800 miles. Arn, what route did you take across the country? Uh, so we took the what's called the northern route, which is uh, basically I-80 to Denver. And then you kind of start heading down through Utah into Los Angeles. What kind of car did you drive? It was a Audi S6. He says it's an Audi S6. He's being modest. Arnie turned it into what we call the fraud Taurus. It was about 650, 700 horsepower. It looked like a Ford Taurus police interceptor. So, kind of a personal question. When and where did you pee? At our gas stops. And how many gas stops did you have? Four. So it only took you four Phillips to get the whole way across the country? Yeah, we had an external um, gas tank on board. I think it was 45 gallons. So we had about 61 total gallons of fuel capacity. And you only peed four times in this whole trip? Yeah, I probably only peed three times, actually. 
Arn, did you get to enjoy any scenery when you were, or were you going too fast? Um, I mean, you enjoy it the most you can. Your your biggest thing you're looking for is you're looking for, uh, you know, police up ahead. And how did you spot police and avoid any speeding tickets? Uh, we used binoculars to, you know, look ahead. We had uh, scout drivers that would drive anywhere from the speed limit to a little above it and report the road conditions ahead for us. You know, we, we scheduled our departure to avoid, you know, any traffic in the, the major cities that we're going to hit. So, you know, it's all a bunch of just open roads and, uh, yeah, pretty uneventful. And what were you listening to when you were driving? Did you have a cannonball playlist? Nothing. The scanner, the CB, each other. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no radios ever on a cannonball. It's all about focus. Were you worried at all about the danger risks to yourself or other people? And do you ever worry about copycats, I guess you could call them? Yeah, ab- absolutely uh, concerned with uh, mostly other people other than ourselves. You know, we drive in a way that's very predictable. When Doug says we're cruising along at 150 miles an hour, we're not passing people at 150 miles an hour. The name of the game is you don't want to scare people. You don't want to make them change course. You don't want to make them turn the wheel. You don't want to make them hit the brakes. You don't want to affect them in any way at all. Yeah, all of those concerns play into our preparation to having the third guy as an additional spotter feeding the driver information and just in all of our moves and and how we drive, how we approach other drivers is understanding that we have to be responsible for what they might do that's unpredictable. Do you think you can do the run faster? There's always time left on the table. There's always a way you can improve, but officially we are retired. The problem with that pursuit is also that there's always somewhere else that's going to be a time suck. There is no perfect run. This is a question for both of you. What have you learned driving across the country so quickly? How little I like driving across the country at the speed limit. (laughs) Yeah. Nebraska is a long friggin' state at 75 miles an hour. That's it for now, but we'll be back every week for the next few months with more stories from the travel world. And every other week, our episode will be dedicated fully to exploring one city that we love and how people eat, drink, and live there. Next week, we're dropping our Thrillist Guide to Chicago, Illinois, the great city. I hope to see you there. This episode was produced by myself, Jake Rasmussen, and Mia Fask, edited by Jake Rasmussen, mixed by Daniel Byrne, Big thanks to Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor. And thanks to you for listening the whole way through. You made it, so I will leave you with a fun fact. One 50 by 50 foot grass lawn produces enough oxygen for one person per day. So take care of your lawns, people, if you have one. And remember, don't put those mowers in neutral. Calamity will ensue. All right, see you next week.